Hi, I'm Gary, and this is episode 95 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be doing something just a little bit different. I'm looking at getting a new electric vehicle. We'll go through the thought process and the things to consider when getting one. Plus, you'll get to know what options I'm considering for something to replace my Kia Soul. Before we start, I wanted to check in and see how many of you have opted for the Zap Map subscription service. Remember, it's completely optional. They haven't removed any functionality and hidden it behind a paywall. But if you want more flexibility with filters and route planning, the subscription service is the way to go. Also, if you're in the Apple ecosystem and use CarPlay, it's probably worth the small monthly amount for the higher level subscription. Our main topic of discussion today is getting a new electric vehicle. I took delivery of my Kia Soul in December 2018. It was brought in on a three-year lease and as such the lease expires and it goes back in about five, six months time. As a result, I'm looking at the options that are available for me to replace this car with, hopefully, another electric car. And it occurred to me that while many people may have bought cars in the past, both new and second hand, there are actually only a limited number of people on the planet who've actually bought an electric car by definition. I mean, sales are still relatively small when compared with internal combustion engine cars. So I wanted to take you through some of the things to be aware of and some of the questions to ask yourself when buying an EV. A little later on, we'll go through my thinking regarding replacing the Kia Soul. So let's start with talking a little bit about getting an EV. With internal combustion engine cars, because they've been around for literally 100 plus years, there's a lot of knowledge and understanding about how they work and what to look for when buying one. In fact, for many people, it's a case of looking at the purchase price and negotiating on that basis. Is the car the right size for me? Yes. Okay, let's negotiate on price. For other people, the process is a bit more in-depth. They need to understand the boot space, towing capacity, fuel economy, tax situation. There are any number of considerations when buying an internal combustion engine car. And yet other people are limited in what they can get because they're buying from a list of cars provided by a company. Your company might say that at your level you can have a Ford Mondeo or a Vauxhall Reps car or equivalent and that's it. You might get to choose the colour or you might not. Obviously if you're buying using your own money that's different to having the car provided as a company vehicle. But when it comes to EVs there are one or two other factors that could play into your thinking. The first and most obvious is range. Do you want something small and nippy that has a relatively tiny battery and will be used to head around town and do the school run? That's your Seat Imiev or similar. Limited range, but reliable, relatively cheap to buy and almost peanuts to run. Or something slightly bigger with a little longer range, but not something you'll be running for hundreds of miles a day. Uh, Honda E or the new Mini Electric. Or will you be doing some longer distances that require a little larger battery? Maybe Nissan Leaf or a Renault Zoe, something you might want to charge, you know, maybe once a day. Perhaps you're someone who will cover quite a lot of distance in a day. Ideally, you need a larger battery to limit the number of times you charge. Then we're talking about the e-Nero, Teslas, Jag I-Pace, the um, Audi e-tron and those type of cars. So it all goes back to your driving habits. Do you have a short commute? Can you get to work and back on a single charge and then top up overnight? As an example, I do seven and a half miles each way to my place of work. Any EV on the market can do that without an issue. Or is your commute a little longer? For a while, I was working in North London and the commute was about 80 minutes each way. The distance was 120 miles a day. 
If you're happy to charge at, say, lunchtime, or if you have charging at work, most EVs will do that for you. If not, you're looking at something with a slightly larger battery to give you some flexibility, especially in winter when range can be reduced. Does your job involve driving long distances? Are you, say, a company rep visiting customers all over the country? Or a maintenance engineer wanting a van that can accommodate your needs? You probably need to be looking into something with a little longer range than 100 miles. Although, having said that, James Coates, uh, Kate Phantom on Twitter, is a mobile electric vehicle service engineer who literally travels the length and breadth of the country servicing electric cars in a Nissan EMV 200. The range has been extended a little with additional battery packs to increase it from 24 kilowatt hours to 40 kilowatt hours, but it still does good long journeys on what is a relatively small range. Uh, when Tom Callow from BP Pulse was on this show, he told us... Um, there, there are customers of ours who, who do something in, in the magnitude of about forty-five to 50,000 miles a year of public charging mm. just on our network. I mean, I think the fact that they're doing forty-five, fifty thousand 50,000 miles a year on public charging alone is very impressive, but the fact they're doing it on just our network is, is you know, really, really impressive, I think, for me. So someone like that, and indeed Tom himself, will need a car that's built to be able to do that sort of mileage. Tom drove an e-Nero for several years and has now just upgraded to a Jaguar I-Pace. So that's range. Then you need to look at your own personal circumstances. As we've said many times on this show, not everyone has off-street parking to charge at home. If that's the case, you ideally want a car that will charge quite quickly using public charging. Something that takes 11 kilowatts or 22 kilowatts AC like the Renault Zoe, or something with a high charge speed for rapid or high power charging. The e-tron is uh, good for this, as are the cars like the VW ID range, the Kia range, and the newer Hyundai cars. Then you need to look at what else you're going to be doing with it. Is it a second car? You won't need lots of space in the back. You might be able to get away with a smaller car such as the Mini or the Peugeot E208. If you want something quirky but slightly impractical, you can go for the BMW i3. Podcast co-founder Simon loves his i3, but he's the first to say that those suicide doors are a little bit of a pain at times. Maybe you're someone who's brand loyal and want to stay within a given make of car. When I chatted with uh, Rob Shaw about getting his ID3, he mentioned that as a current Skoda driver, he would have benefited from the Skoda Enyaq being available when he was looking for a new car, as he would get a discount from Skoda for buying another car from the same mark. I believe VW did the same thing. Maybe you like something that's a little more luxurious and premium. You can look at the I-Pace, the e-tron or the Mercedes EQC. Factors such as battery size and efficiency don't always come into play here, so your focus is on things like the interior design and build quality, etc. And what this shows is that anyone buying a car has a specific set of criteria that they will consider and that will influence which cars they look at and how much they end up paying. This was always the case with internal combustion engine cars, and it's certainly the case only more so with electric vehicles. Then we get into the cost. The mainstream narrative will tell you that electric cars are expensive, but as I said before on this podcast more than once, a £30,000 electric vehicle costs exactly the same as a £30,000 internal combustion engine vehicle. Just as an aside, and we mentioned this last week, the Surrey Road Policing Unit recently bought a Tesla Model 3 to test. When questioned about the appropriate use of taxpayers' money on luxury cars, they said the Model 3 Long Range and a BMW 330D xDrive is almost identically the same price, so it's not costing them more to use EVs. In fact, they're saving money in running and servicing costs in the long term. What is true, however, is that a base internal combustion engine car can be bought for a lot less than a base electric vehicle. And this is usually because the base EV is much better equipped than the base internal combustion engine car. 
But the other thing to look at when transferring from internal combustion engines to EV is the monthly payments. As I tweeted out recently to a motoring journalist, the cost of repaying a £250 a month loan and paying £250 for petrol is not the same as repaying a £350 a month loan and paying £50 a month in electricity, is it? The £250 for an ICE car looks a lot less than £350 for the electric vehicle, but when you factor in the other things, it becomes a different game. So if you're looking at buying your electric vehicle, there are several ways to go about it. You can buy the car outright. Not many people do that. You can lease it. You can hire purchase it, PCP. You can get a personal loan. And each of these will potentially have different monthly repayments. I'm not going to go into each of these as part of this podcast, but I will go into a little detail about my current circumstance. I currently lease my car from Drive Electric, link in the show notes. The lease that I'm currently on means that the only option I have is to send the car back to the leasing company at the end of the contract. There is no option to buy it. This means I will be driving a car that is not my current Kia Soul come December. I could buy another Kia Soul that is identical in every way, but it won't be the current one that I'm driving. So what are the criteria I'm looking at for my next electric vehicle? Well, I'm looking for something with a little more range. I've talked on this podcast several times about this and how I don't have issues with the range I currently have, which is about 100 to 125 miles on a full charge, depending on the time of year and outside temperature. But since I first got the Kia Soul, the electric vehicle market has moved on in many ways. The number of cars now available with ranges of 200 plus miles means I have a choice of cars that fit that criteria, if I can afford them. So ideally, I want a car that will do 200 miles without much sweat. Uh, Next criteria, charging speed. My Kia Soul charges at 80 kilowatts maximum. I've reached 77 kilowatts on the GridServe electric highway chargers at the Rugby Motorway service areas when they opened recently, and it feels good. So I will be very reluctant to go for a car that is drastically slower than that in charge speed. This is especially important if I end up with a car with a bigger battery than I currently have. Charge times will increase proportionally over the soul, and we talked about this in several episodes, but the one on cadence charging is a typical example of more charges at a higher charge speed being quicker than fewer charges at a lower charge speed. Ideally, I want a car that charges at 100 kilowatts or higher. New or second hand? At the moment, I'm undecided about whether I want a, quote, new car, and I put new in quote marks there because... I'm not adverse to getting an ex-demo or dealer-bought new car that has a few thousand miles on the clock, but which is effectively still new. I'm more than happy to go second-hand if I can get one that fits my criteria. What other factors are there to consider? Well, let's look at specific cars. I really like the BMW i3. I've driven Simons when we did the 1,000km journey around England a couple of years ago, and it's a great-looking, very nippy little car. However, the range is not that much more than my current car, and the charge speed is 50 kilowatts maximum. And when all said and done, the i3 is relatively old technology. As a result, I don't think I'm going to include the i3 on my primary list of potential options. Uh, We've also got the Renault Zoe. Again, lovely car to look at. The new one with the CCS charging is fabulous, but with a maximum charge speed of 46 kilowatts and an average of 41 kilowatts, it's not under consideration for me at the moment. So... How am I going to pay for this? I don't really know for sure. The beauty of the current market is that there are numerous ways to finance a new car. Obviously, with something like a new EV, the chances I'm going to be able to purchase a thing outright for cash is minimal. In fact, it's non-existent. And this means that somehow I'm going to need to find a way of financing it. 
Financing could mean going for another lease, similar to what I have with the sole. Fixed amount per month, fixed mileage per year, fixed number of months. At the end of the lease, the car goes back. Or I could go for a PCP. This is similar to the lease, except that at the end of the time period, I have the option of making a balloon payment to cover the outstanding amount on the cost of the car and taking full ownership of it. The third option is to take out a private loan and use that to purchase the car. I can manage the loan repayment period, the initial deposit, and as soon as I take delivery of the car, it's legally mine. At the moment, I'm not ruling out any of the above. The final figures will determine which of these makes most sense. So now you know some basic criteria, let's see if we can narrow down the cars I don't think I'm going to consider. Now the fact that I'm including a car in the following list does not mean it is not a good electric vehicle. It just means that it doesn't meet my current selection criteria for a replacement EV. I will, wherever possible, let you know why it doesn't meet that criteria. So here's the list. The electric Mini. The range is too small, charge speed too slow. The Vauxhall e-Corsa. Again, range and charge speed. The uh, Peugeot e208 doesn't have the range. The E2008 doesn't have the range. The Leaf doesn't have the charge speed and it also has the battery cooling issue. The Honda E doesn't have a range. The Mazda doesn't have the charge speed. The Fiat 500e doesn't have the range. The Vauxhall Mocha E has neither the range or the charge speed. The Hyundai Ioniq, whilst a fantastic car, just doesn't have the charge speed I'm after. The Renault Zoe, as I've said, doesn't have the charge speed. The MG ZSAV doesn't have the range and the MG5 doesn't have the range. If you want more information about some of the cars on this list, we've reviewed the Leaf, the Zoe, the MG ZSAV and the E2008 with owners on this show already. Now there are also some cars that are out of my price range from the start. Mercedes EQC, Audi e-tron, Porsche Taycan, the ID4, the Ford Mach-E, the Model S, Model X and Model 3 from Tesla, the Jaguar I-Pace, the Polestar and the Kia EV6 to name a few. So what does that leave as potential possibilities? Well, my list narrows down to the following. The Kia e-Soul, the Kia e-Niro, Hyundai Kona, the VW ID3, and possibly the Skoda Enyaq. In terms of range, all these cars will do 200 miles plus. The Enyaq will do 260, the ID3 will do 215. Uh, charge speeds vary from 77 kilowatts to 126 kilowatts, with the ID3 sort of in the middle there at 100 kilowatts. And these are all more than adequate. Uh, by the way, all figures quoted here are from the EV database. So what if I go second hand? Well, the beauty of the EV market is that there are more and more second hand cars becoming available. Lease companies started to go to one or two year leases, which brought many low mileage vehicles onto the market as those leases expired. This would cut out something like a finance option, but it does mean I can take a loan out and make sure I bought the sort of car I wanted. And what cars does this bring into the frame if I were to go for second hand? Well, possibly there's an option of a Tesla Model 3, although they do seem to be a little like hen's teeth when it comes to finding them. There might also be a nice second hand version of the e-Nero, likely the earlier version which Andrew Till had, which he reviewed on this uh, very program. I'm also quite partial to the Kia Soul, and Kia have a lovely updated version of the Soul with a 64kWh battery, which might now be coming to the end of the first run of leases. Potentially, there could be options available for a second-hand version of that. But here's where my thinking is currently going. Volkswagen. The ID3 is a lovely car. It's well-made, looks good, and it's selling quite well. It's also in a reasonable price range, as long as I don't want to go for the biggest battery option. 
The company themselves sold a large number of these into the dealer network recently to meet emissions targets at the end of last year, and many dealers are now wanting to get these sold out onto the open market. There are options for good deals there. That's how Rob Shaw, ID3 owner and friend of the podcast, got his. I've talked through his financing options with him and, get this, he's actually paying less per month for a brand new ID3 with a 62 kilowatt hour battery than I am for a three-year-old Kia Soul with a 33 kilowatt hour battery. If I can get a deal like that, it's a no-brainer. The only question is, can I? At the moment, that's not confirmed. Rob did get a good deal on his car, but he also had a 40 kilowatt hour Nissan Leaf to give him part exchange, which certainly helped with the financing. I don't have anything to part exchange. Just as a sidebar, I do want to address the elephant in the room regarding Volkswagen. Dieselgate. Yes, they did a really bad thing which impacted emissions worldwide and led to a growing acceptance of diesel as a viable fuel for cars. Yes, they were quite rightly caught and punished for that, to the tune of billions of dollars. But let's not forget that two of the things that came out of that are the Ionity charging network and the Volkswagen MEB platform, which is forming the basis of the ID range, the Skoda electric range, and the Seat Cooper range. The new man at the head of VW, Herbert Dies, wants VW to be a global leader in electric cars, so I think he's leading the company in the right direction. Also, if you're going to get all high and mighty regarding Dieselgate, you might want to consider whether you ever use the charging networks from oil giants and renowned greenwashers BP or Shell to charge your cars, okay? So what now? Well, for now, nothing. I'm contemplating what my options are and speaking to dealers about potential test drives and finance options. At some point, I will need to make a choice, but as I have another five months at least, time's on my side. Stay tuned for an update on this. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. Plastic waste in oceans has become more and more of an issue as recycling facilities struggle to cope with demand. There are rumours of huge floating islands of plastic waste somewhere in the middle of the Pacific. But now, a new invention could both reduce this waste and become a source for emissions-free energy at the same time. The Manta is a dual-function boat which is designed to capture plastic waste as it floats. However, comma, unlike other boats that then transport the waste back to processing plants on shore, the Manta will send the plastic through an onboard waste-to-energy machine that turns it into electricity to provide some of the boat's power as it travels. The energy won't be enough to completely power the boat, but with sails and solar panels, the need for fossil fuels to be used at all is quite minimal. Now, it's just a concept at the moment, but imagine if this works and then gets scaled up to much larger boats such as transatlantic cargo ships. That sounds like a great idea. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com and I'm on Twitter at musingsev. If you want to support the podcast and the newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. Go to patreon.com slash evmusings and sign up. There are several different levels with different perks and benefits. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. If you've reached this part of the podcast and you're still listening, thank you. 
Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me at MusingTV with the words A brand new shiny car? Hashtag, if you know, you know. Nothing else. Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon. Do you know, he's generally amazed at how popular smartphones are, especially when it comes to using those little USB connectors you find on trains and planes to power them up. It's a popular option with a lot of people his company does business with. Um, there, there are customers of ours who, who do something in, in the magnitude of about 45 to 50,000 miles a year of public charging just on our network. Once again, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.